I was literally driving down the road this week, and I had taken, I had taken Kim to, to work. We have one vehicle right now, so it was, I dropped her off, and then I was heading about my day, and, and I was just like, Lord, what, what do you want me to bring this week? And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to go and sit down and, and break the Bible out and kind of work through a process. And I was literally driving down the road, and the basic nuggets of today's message was just dropped into my spirit as I was driving. So I've given in today's message the title, Fuller House. How many of you love entertaining and having a house full of guests? You know, some people, some people are just driven by that. Some people really enjoy that. There are some people that will work hard to create that. I mean, they will labor and labor to make sure everything is just so. And you can watch them when the people show up. That there's just a smile on their face at the idea of, of the house being full. The idea of, of those things happening puts a smile on their face. And, and despite the labor, a spring in their step. And they're excited about the idea of people being in their home. And there are other people like, you know what, I will go to other people, but just don't come near my house. <laughs> but what if, what if you had gone to all the trouble and you'd send out the invitations and you'd laid it all out and you'd worked hard to make sure the meal was right and everything was prepared and decorated and clean. I mean, so clean that somebody could even go into your own bedroom closet and find everything in order. I'm talking clean. And you're, and you're ready. You're ready for the guests to show up. And, and so you, you reach out and you say, hey, it's time. I'm, I'm hoping to enjoy it. And then all of a sudden you realize that even though you're there and you're waiting and everything is prepared, nobody shows. How many know that there would be a little, bit of, a little bit of anger that would begin to rise up? Or, or, you begin, or you begin to make excuses. Well, you know, maybe, maybe the, if it's raining, like, oh, it's the rain. Or if it's hot outside, well, it's just a little bit too hot for this thing. And you begin to kind of make excuses to, to ease how you feel about it so that you don't hold grudges against somebody else. But the reality is you're kind of hurt that nobody showed up. As I began to think about that, my mind went to Luke 14, 23, which is kind of our text for today. It says, And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now, depending on translation, and you may be more familiar with it saying the highways and the byways, but I kind of like the word hedges. That means go beat the hedges, Right? Do what you got to do. So this morning, I want us to look at this situation because this verse comes from a parable that Jesus told addressing some of the things that he saw. He was at this banquet. He was invited by the Pharisees. And what we see is while he's there at the banquet and he begins to observe some things. Now, he had just had a conversation with them because there was a man that came that needed to be healed. And it was a Sabbath day and people were looking at him and saying, is he going to heal on the holy day? And he looked at them and he says, which of you wouldn't go rescue an ox? Which of you wouldn't go do this or that on the Sabbath day? This man needs healing, and so he heals him right there on the spot. So that's kind of got him a little, things stirred a little bit as it is. 
And as he's sitting down for this banquet, he watches as people are coming in and watches some of them try to find seats in the places of honor. And he speaks up and he says, hey, he said, wouldn't it be better if instead of coming and finding your place in the seat of honor and somebody having to come along and say, oh, I'm sorry, but that, that seat is reserved for somebody else and you're demoted and you're moved down out of the way for somebody else, instead of that humiliation, wouldn't it be better if you all showed up with this humble attitude and you took the least places available and so that the master of the banquet came along and said, hey, no, no, that's not your seat. Your seat is up here. And then he goes on to say, he says, he says, you guys, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's the way I like to do it. He says, basically, you guys, you come in and, and you, and each one of you, you're having this feast and each one of you in turn alternate having feasts and, and you have this one there and in turn, they're going to invite you to theirs. And it's just the same group of people bouncing around from place to place for feast. He says, hey, what if you invited the poor? What if you invited the downtrodden? What if you invited people that couldn't repay you? And so right in the middle of all that, Jesus is having this conversation, and one person lifts up his bread and says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, that's not a wrong statement, unless your motive is wrong. Because if what you mean... And I kind of believe this is a context with which this guy was saying this because Jesus' next statements that follow kind of point that out to a degree that it was kind of like, hey, this is our holy group. Blesses the person that eats bread in the kingdom of God. Blesses the person who eats within this group. Because I want you to notice what Jesus said. Jesus seizes the opportunity and he tells this parable that we're about to get into this morning. Now, if you know me at all, you know that it is, it is certainly great to feast with a group of believers, right? There is just something about it. I love getting together with, with our church family and, and just like last Wednesday night, we got together and we ate and we fellowshiped and we, we hung out and, and many times we do, we go have dinners and we do things with each other and, and that is something we do very, very well around here. And we love each other. We support each other. I can't tell you how many times I get a call that somebody's in the hospital and I make a beeline over the hospital and I find some of the people in the church are already there. Already pray with them. We do these things very, very well. And we labor for the kingdom. If you see the stuff that's going on in the back of the church and the remodeling and the things that are going on, we've got people that show up and roll up their sleeves and they get involved and they work and they make things happen and they labor for the kingdom and all those things are great. But yet the point that Jesus is trying to make and he's trying to get across to his audience here is that if we're honest with ourselves, we could do much better at one area. See, Jesus came so that the world, it says, might be saved through him. And he did his part. His part was the hardest part. He came, he clothed himself in flesh, he walked this earth, he allowed himself to be crucified and nailed to the cross. He allowed himself to be laid in the tomb. He picked his life back up again. He went and was ascended at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit to be here and empower us. And so that part is all done. But he's left us to do our part. 
So why do we struggle so much in actually doing it? So I want us to look at Jesus' words this morning and how it relates to our obligation as believers because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're saved by his grace, if you're walking in his joy, if you have that relationship, that, that, that relationship with God that he brings, how many know there's a huge difference between being religious and having a real, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ? There is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. But if we have that, there should be something in us that compels us to go out and reach others and bring others in. And we look across that person and we see that person that we think they're a hard case or an impossible case. We ought to just look at them as they're just not saved yet. There ought to be a little bit of tenacity in us. So, Because I'm concerned that we're too far. We're all, sometimes we're just a little too guilty of huddling together and celebrating together, but not working to provide for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords a fuller house. I know it's quiet because I'm getting pretty hardcore this morning. But it's in love. Because make no mistake, go and compel them to come in is a command. I'm excited. Heaven's going to be my home. There is zero doubt of that. And I know for many of you, that's the same feeling and desire that you have that one of these days when all this is over, just like the song that Derek talked about, the reason that person could lay there and have that joy on their deathbed and even sing that kind of a song was because there was something down inside of them that they knew what their next destination was and they were just, they were just, shell, they were just ridding themselves of a worn out shell of a body and the next breath or the next moment they were going to be right in the presence of the holy God. So heaven's going to be my home. And I pray the same for each of you. And I know that many of us, we're going to be hanging out there together and the family's just going to be expanded and it's going to be big. But if I had one thought I wanted you to get a hold of today, as great as heaven is, there's actually something better than heaven. How many are like, what? There is. I want you to look at this. What's better than heaven? Taking somebody with you when you go. Taking somebody with you when you go. Luke 14, 16 through 18. Let's look at the next part of Jesus. Actually, this is a little bit earlier in his conversation with these people. It says, but he said to them, so I laid the, the foundation of all that's happening. And so Jesus in response, I mean, you know that many times we, you know, we, we were good at telling the parables, but there was always a sitting and a reason that Jesus went into this story. Many times there was things that were happening. And to address the issue, he goes, he goes let me tell you a story, although he didn't use those words. But he said to them, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And the time for the, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. You know what they said? First point this morning is, Excuse me. 
They all claim to have some kind of exempt status to the invitation. Now, there's not a person here that hasn't at some point been invited to some event and you really kind of intended on going, but as the time approached, just for whatever reason, you you just didn't feel like going or something, or you kind of changed your mind, or or maybe you felt like a little bit better offer came along, or, or whatever, all right? There's not a person here that didn't begin to say, I really don't want to go, so you begin searching for some excuse to give that will let you off the hook to be at this particular event. Somehow you want to validate your absence. And usually what we do is we find something where technically we're not lying. But if we're honest with ourselves, we really could attend if we wanted to. And that's kind of what I look at when I see the excuses that the people begin to offer the master of the banquet here. Now, you know, we can rag on their excuses all day long, but in all honesty... We all have our own when it comes to fulfilling the commandment to bring people to Jesus. We, you know, we may reach out. We may invite somebody. We may, you know, you probably, like me, many times you've invited somebody to church, and, and they say that they're going to be there. They say they're going to show up, and then, and then some excuse comes along later. And so we probably have all had that. But let's not get so on them because we have our excuses as to why we don't go out and beat the bushes to bring people in. We're just as guilty of the excuse me and claiming our own exempt status. Let's look at the excuses that were given. Oh, you know, man, I would come to that banquet, but I've got some property I have to go examine that I bought. Another one said, you know, I've got some oxen, I've got some cattle that I purchased. I really need to go check on the cattle. Now, how many know both of those things could have waited now, probably the best excuse is the guy that says, I just got married, and, and I don't know. But in other words, what he's, what he's saying in a roundabout wife way is my wife said no. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, if there's, but if there's a good excuse, I'm thinking the honeymoon's a pretty decent excuse, right? But when it comes to going out and, and compelling people to come in, you know, we all, we have our excuses too. Well, I would compel someone, but I'd do good just to get myself there. Right? Oh, I have so many other things going on to keep track of. I, I mean, I got to keep track of this. I just don't have time to keep track of my neighbor. Oh, my Honeydew list is way too big. And when Sunday finally rolls along, we, we all have our excuses. But I'm telling you, Jesus desires for us to go out and to compel them to come in. There's not a one of us that shouldn't constantly have somebody on our radar that we're targeting, and the best strategy is before you say anything. Now, God may send something along, and right in that moment you speak something, and you should do that. But you know what? So many times we don't even pray for the people. We don't even call their name out to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We don't even ask him to set the table so that we have an opportunity to speak into that life and help bring them in. 
Let's, let's look at what happens next. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said, Servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You know, but too often our excuse is that, well, we tried. And we got their excuse, so what I did wasn't successful. And really, you know, in all honesty, I kind of felt awkward in doing this. It was kind of outside my, my comfort zone, and I really didn't care for it in the first place. And I haven't really, really had much success. So, so our conclusion becomes, well, that, that outreach stuff just isn't for me. But in all honesty, that's not scriptural. Now, it doesn't mean you have to do it like everybody else does it. But this outreach thing is for every single one of us if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So it becomes our excuse. And I love what happens next because the servant comes back and he reports. And I want you to notice that Jesus' response wasn't, oh, well, at least you tried. His response was, okay. So expand your search even further. Look at it, verse 22 and 23. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. I love the word hedges because like I said, in other words, beat the bushes. Yeah, you because know, if you notice, there really is a progression there. It's like, okay, here's, go out and let's tell the people that I've invited to come. Okay, that doesn't fill up the house. All right, goes out, go out to the city streets and the places and, and the other things and do that. And when that doesn't work, he's like, okay, even go outside of those things, out into the highways, the byways, the hedges, and compel them to come in. In other words, go, go search the people we have a close connection with, go search those areas that are kind of within your comfort zone. And if that's not good enough, go out to those that are outside your comfort zone and compel them to come in. Because you know what? He wants his house full. Now, the the context of that, yes, is in this Building, but the context in the greater scheme is is that he wants heaven populated. And so we should we should go out to the out of the way places. We should be willing to step outside of our comfort zone because you know what? If you find if you continue to step outside your comfort zone, pretty soon you find out what was outside of your comfort zone is now in your comfort zone, and that's the only way you get there. Man, I. <laughs> This week, it was so neat to, to see what some of them did. Some of them found out that, that I've been uh, a credential minister for 25 years. And so if you were here Wednesday night, I was given this little plaque, and there was a, a dinner that we had the, the following night, and just, just all that stuff. And, and as they were talking about that, I began to think, you know what? So much of what I do right now was so far, it was light years outside of my comfort zone. But as God began to speak and I began to fall and I started letting him stretch me here a little bit and stretch me there. And it hurts. Getting stretched hurts. 
But pretty soon, that becomes your comfort zone. I don't stress over stepping up here and speaking anymore. It's just second nature. But used to? I'll never forget my first message standing there, and, and I, had, I had a glass of water, and it was like everything in my mouth just became the driest desert you could ever imagine. And I'll just, have you ever had it where your mouth so dry you can't even hardly talk? But God has a way of making those things when we allow him within our comfort zone. And yes, even missions. I know that sometimes missions is outside. You know what? I, and I know that nobody really here has said this to me, but if, but if you've thought it, shame on you. I'm going to get on you. But uh, the, the point is that sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, I just don't believe in, in, in missions and doing something to reach halfway around the world. Wait a minute. He said, those that are invited, those, you know, and what does he say? Go and reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. And if you notice, there's an and between each one, not or. If they're lost and they can be compelled to come in in some fashion, it is our responsibility. Because what does he say? Remember, our core value for God so loved the world. So who do we compel? Compel who? You mean them? See, the master of the banquet was making it clear that they were, to, he was, they were to go out and find whoever, wherever, and get them into the house of God or get them into that banquet. Now, can you imagine? I want you to picture with me. Can you imagine the audience that Jesus is speaking to? He's speaking to the Pharisees. He, he's speaking to the sophisticated. He's speaking to the ones that are so used to living their life holy and proper and being careful to obey all the rules. And as I was reading this, I just had this incredible picture. Can you imagine one of them sitting in, in, in their place of honor? I mean, their robes, their clothing, all the stuff on them is just so-so. I mean, everything is as it should be. They carry themselves around as this holy man of God and, and they have all this. Can you imagine what it, the, the expressions and what it had been like if all of a sudden they come bringing in some, some crippled beggar off the street and sit him in the chair right next to him? Can you imagine this, just that picture? I mean, I can just picture in my mind the, the look of disgust and the little look of what am I, you know, and, and trying to find an excuse to go sit somewhere else. But we have no evidence anywhere that that is the way we're supposed to act as believers. There's a term in the King James referring, referring to bring people in that I really love. Whosoever will. We're supposed to reach and bring in whosoever we can reach. Even if they don't smell the best. Even if they don't dress right. Even if there's something about their personality that rubs you the wrong way. 
We need to pray for love to reach that person. So who should we look at? I thought of some people that, that would fit into this group. The desperate. You know, we do know that, that he had invited people within the city that were poor and, and lame and, and blind and, and all these things because he says, oh, we've already done that. But how many know that we too, get, we too encounter people all the time that are desperate? They're desperate. But if you walk and you live your life full of the Spirit, I can't tell you how often in, in, in our lives, if we do this things right, that you will be around somebody and there is just something about that Spirit of God that is in you. All of a sudden, you've ever had somebody you're talking to, all of a sudden, you may not have, you may have just met them, all of a sudden they begin to spill their guts about everything that's wrong in their life. There's a reason for that. It's called the Holy Spirit and there's something in you Let's them know that this is a place I can unload this stuff, and it's an opportunity. Don't just back away. Don't look at them like, oh, well, if you're going to tell me your problems, I'm, I'm out of here. Man, you've got an open door. You've got an opportunity right then and there to say, you know what? And, and it doesn't matter if it's in the parking lot. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of Walmart. If you've got an opportunity, pray for that person. You never know what doors can open. If you will allow yourself, God will allow you. He will sit those things up where even those that are defiant, even those that are desperate. See, you may go to lunch today and encounter somebody that's trying to smile and trying to serve you, but on the inside, they're desperate. They are separated from God by their sin and seeking any means of hope they can find, even if it's just to numb it with the wrong kind of medication. And you're sitting there with the answer. We must seek them out and share the gospel with them. That doesn't mean you have to march them through the 16 fundamentals right there. It doesn't mean you have to, to, to do all these things. If you will just be light and love and let them see that you care, it will open up all kinds of opportunities. Then there's the defiant. I mean, talk about the ones that are out on the highways and the hedges. If you know anything about that, that period of time, out on the edges, out on the outskirts of it all, were where the bandits and the robbers and, and, and the people that were, were, were trying to make their living by preying on other people. And how many know that we have a lot of those today? A lot of them sit behind the keyboards of their computers and try to find a way to prey on somebody. How many get those phone calls? There's nothing wrong with your credit card. But we want to give you an opportunity. Yeah, you want me to give you all my information so that you can, yeah. But we're still supposed to go and compel them. See, there's, because there's no need of Christ. Even They have a need of Christ even if they don't acknowledge it, even if they're defiant. 
even if they come across and say, I am uninterested in this gospel thing that you're talking about. Don't tell me anything about that. They may refuse our invitation, but that gives us, doesn't give us an excuse not to invite in the first place. That's the person you ought to write their name down and pray for them and pray for them because God has a way of hitting them with the things in life that will soften their heart and bring them to the place where they're ready to hear the truth. Then there's the different. There's the desperate, there's defiant, and there's the ones that are just different. They dress different. Their preferences of lifestyles are different. Their hair color is different. The amount of piercings they have is different. I mean, you can go down the list. They're just different. But did you notice the master of the banquet didn't give them any prerequisites? Just go out and compel them to come in. And we know from that context and other things that were said that the time was coming, that the unthinkable, that even the Gentiles were going to be included. You know what? I don't understand people that get caught up in race. I mean, this, this little slight difference in pigmentation, this little slight difference maybe in some, some features or whatever that is so surface level, and, the, and people let that get in the way of presenting the gospel? If they have a soul, Jesus died for them. But we do, we encounter many in our society that are different. But they need Jesus too. And they may be so different than you, you're like, I don't know. But you know what I love? I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody that was on an extreme and they get brought in and they get exposed to the gospel and no clothesline preaching is required, no anything and just watch as the spirit begins to touch them how they begin to make life changing decisions themselves and you watch the progression and all you had to do was just love them and show them that there's a better way somehow our love for Jesus has to grow to the point that it overpowers our excuses. And if you don't love Jesus enough that his presence can overpower your excuses, then you must not love him enough. Because if you're truly thankful for what he did and you truly comprehend what was done for us, how could you not share that with somebody else? It's our responsibility to compel them to come in. You know what? It means more. The word compel means more than just an invitation. It means more than just grabbing one of these cards. Which are up here for your use. Just so you know. But it's more than just taking one of these and saying, you know, I, I, really, I, I really would like for you to come to our church. 
It's more than that. Compel means that you're taking an interest in that. Now, that's not twisting arms. It's not grabbing them by the neck and dragging them in. But it's a consistent, you matter. What can I do? What act of kindness? How much can I pray for you? What can I do to help push you towards Christ? Compel. And it may take you months to finally get them where they don't set a time to come and then make their excuse. It may take you a long time to get them there. It may take you doing some kind of get-together at your house that you happen to have a few strategic people over and and you kind of, not to ambush them, but just so that they begin to see that, hey, these people really aren't weird. They're just people. Because what is better than heaven? Taking somebody with you when you go. So we need to regain our passion about the, about the gospel. It has to go deeper than a conversation about the weather. And the truth is, Christ paid the price. And he sent his Holy Spirit. And he put his spirit in us. And we have everything we need just to do this and if we don't let's be honest it's just an excuse there's no other way to slice it if we're not if we're not trying to reach out to somebody else if we're not praying for other people if we're not doing what we can building friendships then anything we have against that it's literally nothing more than an excuse Isn't it sad that too often we show more passion in our conversations over our favorite sports team or restaurant or TV show than we do about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Somewhere along the way, the cost of what was done for us should, pre- should prepare us and it should sink in and, and, and let us begin to work to fill his house on, on purpose. Like the master's house, the Lord has made provision for all of us. He lay aside his glories. He left heaven. He clothed himself in flesh. He walked through that whole thing to provide a way for us so that we could be justified and we could be saved. And that same Christ that paid the price for you that you enjoy now paid the price for the person that you know that doesn't know him yet. How could you not share what you've been given? If Jesus wants his house filled, then by goodness, we should beat the hedges to make it happen. I've already said what's better than heaven. My last closing point is this. Making a better heaven. I want to show up with my plus one, two, three, four, five, six, however far that goes. Because one day we will sit down at, the, at a banquet much like was being described here, and it's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. It's going to be an incredible moment. Why don't you look at kind of an interesting verse here, Revelation 19, 9. And the angel said to me, write this. 
blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true, the true words of God. Notice how that sounds similar to what the guy at the banquet said in the parable, blessed is the man that eats bread in the kingdom of God. Very similar, but what's the difference of the context here? One was kind of meant for an inner circle. This one's meant for all those that were invited. Later on in Revelation, it says that there are those there that are worshiping him from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. So if you have a problem with a different, then you might have a little bit of a problem with heaven. But think about this. How sweet of a moment that will be. I don't know. I mean, I can't even comprehend a picture of what's like, but can you imagine being seated at that banquet? I mean, in, in the glories of heaven, looking at all that is there that we don't even know how to describe and seeing the, seeing the spread that is laid before us. Now, I don't know what food in heaven is going to be like, but I know if there's a banquet, there's food. And whatever it is, it's truly going to be out of this world. And can you imagine taking it all in? Can you imagine pinching yourself? Wow, I'm really here. This is, this is the thing I've, I've thought about. This is the thing that, that I look forward to, and I'm here, and it's now, and it's happening. But how much better would it be if you were able to look to your left and look to your right and realize that there were others there because you compelled them to come in? What about that empty seat? Let's look at Revelation 24, 21-4. Interesting concept here. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You look at this saying, hey, there's no tears in heaven. So I kind of thought about that. Because it's, it's, there's no indication there here that he's talking about tears of joy. So what other kind of tears would there be? Tears of regret? Maybe thinking about those that should be there that aren't that we knew and maybe we had an opportunity to make a difference in our life and maybe we had an opportunity to compel them and we didn't that's the only thing I can come up with It's what if the wiping away of tears is because, okay, you're here now, and the ones that aren't, there's nothing that can be done about it. So I'm going to wipe away the tears. You see, because the time of tears for the lost is now. Not there. Now. And I'm not saying we walk around all mopey and all so forth because there I believe in the joy of the Lord. I woke up with the joy of the Lord this morning. But I want other people to experience that. So if I'm going to cry over somebody, 
I want to do that now. If I'm going to call somebody's name out in prayer, I want to do that now. If I'm going to reach somebody, I want to do that now. Because now is the time that it will do some good. Jeremiah 8.20, then I'm going to wrap this up. It's kind of an interesting deal. There's a prophecy being done, but in Jeremiah 8.20, it says this is the harvest has passed, the summer has ended, and we still are not saved. There's going to come a time that the time for harvesting is over. I thank God that I'm redeemed. I thank God that my past is washed under the blood of Jesus. But I want somebody to make it because I've influenced them. I've said this before. You know, if, if you're in it, please understand my heart. But I hate when somebody tricks me into a presentation for a multi-level marketing system. Right? But the more you think about it, God has the best multi-level marketing system. Because if you're connected, if you're involved in leading somebody to Christ... I believe that there's a certain amount of of credit that will roll our way for those that they lead to Christ. And then those that they lead to Christ. And i got to think about that. You know, we, we know that there's rewards in heaven. You know, what that means exactly, I don't know. I don't care. I guarantee you we'll be, it'll be beyond what we can imagine. But can you imagine living a life where you go on and you make it to heaven and you're still cashing in on the rewards because those you left behind are reaching other people and they're reaching other people and just to realize that somehow because I walked this earth, heaven is still being populated. That ought to be something that motivates us. If you're going to get into multi-level marketing, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just, my mind plays games sometimes. I, I just picture you. You've got, can you imagine being there and you, you're, you're giving your crown? I know that eventually we're going to cast the crowns at his feet. I understand all that, but just humor me for a moment. Because we hear the term jewels in your crown. Can you imagine being up there and the angel attendant keeps having to come by and say, oh, we need to add another jewel to your crown because another one you influenced just got saved. Wouldn't that be great? That should be our goal. So what's better than heaven? Taking somebody with you when you go. Our altar call this morning is going to be really simple. I want to challenge you. Now, I'm not doing this just because next week's Friends Sunday, but I want you to look at the context. Let's do what we can to pack this place out next week. Let's, you know, invite that person you've been praying for if you haven't, try to, you know, we've got cards up front here. If you want to give them information, you, you can do that and, and do that. But I also want to challenge this. 
I want you to think to somebody maybe that's kind of been a part of this and cares of life it have caused them to kind of wander off and get out there a little bit. Let's make some phone calls. Let's let's bring people back in. Let's let's fill the house next week. But let's not just do that. Let's make it a lifestyle. Amen. So here's what I want. To, here's what I want us to do. I want us all right now. Because some of you know you can have great intentions. You're like, that was a good message. I'm going to apply it in my life, and then Monday happens. Right? So I want you to right now picture that person you can invite. Whether they come next week or the next week, whatever, just that one person. That one person say, you know what? They they need this. And right now, we're going to pray together, and I want you to call that name out to Jesus in prayer this morning and then continue through the week. Let's do that. Right now, just begin to pray. Father, Lord, you see those. You see those people. You see that person. And Lord, I pray, Lord, I, I, I pray for those that are, that are there. Lord, you know the people that we've talked to. And Lord, I pray that we would call these names out and that you would touch them and that you would minister. And Lord, you begin to stir their hearts and prepare them. Lord Jesus, open the door for them to be willing to step in. Lord, let the invitations that are be given found favor in the hearts of those people and that you would compel them to come in. And Lord, that we would just feel your house next week because it's going to be a very guest-friendly message. And Lord, we thank you for that and we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Now I want you to pray for that person that crossed your mind when I talked about somebody that we haven't seen in a house. I want you to call them by name right now. Just be calling, Lord, you see those that are out there. Lord, you see those that have just wandered off. Lord, we ask you just to stir their spirits, Lord, and as we reach out to them and and, and touch them and and talk to them, Lord, that you would just bring them back into the fold, Lord Jesus, so they could be a part of the family of God, Lord, and you can begin to influence their lives because so many times the cares of this world cause people to drift off. And so we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. And the last one I want you to pray for this morning the one that you think is a lost cause and would never happen in a million years. I want you to pray for that person. You know what? It's going to be funny. I think in some cases, that's going to be the person that comes in. The one that you think is a lost cause. Because God just works that way, amen? Father, we lift those up that are just, seems there's no way No way outside of a miraculous event. No way outside of just an outpouring of your grace like we've never seen before that it would even be possible. But Lord, we call out those names right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just speak life over them. And we ask you to touch them and to raise them up and to restore them, Lord, and just bring them in. Lord, begin to, all the things they've leaned on, all the the rough exterior, all the things, would you just begin to tear down those walls so their heart will be open to what you have for them. And though we believe it, we thank you, and we claim it in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask you to be with these people. Lord, bring them back next Sunday. Lord, I pray that we, we come and we bring other people. And Lord, that truly your house is filled. And Lord, we see salvations next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.